We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is a Locker Room Production. All right. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast, Gone Locker Room for our weekly live Q&A. We'll obviously wait till some people flood in here. I'm going to go ahead and tweet this link out as well right now. But first, I'm also going to mention that Nick will be joining us shortly here. Nick should be jumping on in about a minute or two here on the live locker room. Until then, we're going to probably wait for some people to come in. I'll tweet out the link. But yeah, we'll be talking about General Manager Dave Gettleman's press conference today, the live Q&A. We'll be talking about Kevin Abrams had to say. We'll be talking about the 2021 NFL Draft, which is now just less than a week away. So looks like Nick jumped in. What's going on, Nick? Hey, man. What's going on, dude? Not much. How you doing? Just chilling. It was... That good old Dave Gettleman, Kevin Abrams, uh, presser. Not not the um not the personality that uh Dave Gettleman uh Dave Gettleman has much more personality than good old Kevin Abrams does. Yeah, I I was gonna say though I tweeted it out a bit earlier today. I actually liked how Kevin Abram, Abrams um conducted himself. I, he chose his words wisely. He some people said he was boring, which I was like that's a good thing. He didn't give much <laughs> away at all. And very measured, very measured, yeah, very measured with everything he said, which. You know, Kevin Abrams is somebody who's been behind the scenes with the Giants for a long time now, and I think he does a pretty excellent job managing their salary cap. So I feel like he is actually an asset in a front office that, quite frankly, you know, if we're looking at this objectively, hasn't really had many assets in the last several years. I mean, just objectively speaking, again, this is not being negative. Objectively speaking, Giants only have 15 wins in the last three years, which is god awful. It's worst of any team, but I think the Jets. So 
he does seem to be a bright spot in that front office at least. So I, I was definitely excited to hear him and Dave speak. What did you, what was your key takeaway, Nick, uh, from that project? Honestly, man, there wasn't that many things to, uh, take away. Uh, I guess Dave Gettleman, which is something we've talked about on the podcast, talking about how it's all a group decision. Everything is a group decision, including the coaching staff, the front office, the scouting department. I think uh, he was mentioning that in reference to the Devonta Booker edition and how I can't remember exactly who asked, but one of the reporters asked uh, about how they rushed out to sign Devonta Booker. And, and Dave went into a whole thing about how they really appreciated his game and they viewed him as a three down back. And it was a collective decision to kind of bring him in early on in free agency. Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest takeaway would just be that what you just said. He didn't say much, which is good. I didn't want them to give away much. I was a little worried Dave was going to give away much. It seems like in past years he has given away a little bit about what he wants to do, what he plans to do in the draft. Um, you know, in the past, he said things about Saquon Barkley that seemed to tip the pick, similar with Daniel Jones and, in my mind, not necessarily Andrew Thomas, but just with the idea of wanting to protect the passer. It does seem like he was more reserved, and so was Abrams. It doesn't feel, it didn't feel like, to me, they gave away any information that could help teams um, kind of pull, you know, what happened to the Giants in that 2016 draft when they wanted Leonard Floyd, they wanted Jack Conklin, but both teams, the Titans and the Bears, knew about their interests from leaked sources. This is something that, you know, even Mark Ross, who was with the Giants at the time, uh, VP of their player personnel at the time, admitted recently in a podcast interview, he said, we know the Titans and the Bears somehow found out we must have had leaks in our organization. And the Titans traded up one spot, and they took Jack Conklin right in front of the Giants, and the Bears did the same with Leonard Floyd. So this one feels a little different. It doesn't feel like they gave anything away. So I still feel kind of in the blue as far as what the Giants are going to do in this draft. What about you, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I do. Is I think there's a couple courses of action, but we still have time till the draft. I mean, Dave Gettleman could, uh, I believe he talks again, and he could uh, tip his hand a little bit then. I want to say that was more of a post-free agency focus. That's why a lot of the questions were about free agency and not as much about the draft, although they did, like, talk about the edge room and everything like that. Sure, and I also think it was interesting, you know, if you look at just the odds right now on all the sports books, whether that be DraftKings, FanDuel, um, William Hill, whatever you're looking at, Every other year besides this one, there has been at least one player who, you know, had either minus minus money, minus juice on them, uh, or, you know, small plus, maybe plus 120, plus 150. This year, they, Vegas seems to really have no idea whatsoever what the Giants are going to do as far as what position is going to go first and what player is going to go first. And I think Giants have done a good job, at least in that sense, not tipping their hat. All right, it looks like we have our first speaker wanting to join us, and it's our buddy Lucas. So, Lucas, you there with us? What's going on, man? Good. How are you guys? Hey, hey, Lucas. Man. All right, I got two questions for you. One for uh, from the press conference and one from your guys' latest YouTube uh, uh, post. All right, uh, so first is, uh, do you guys see uh, Kevin Abrams as um, just a long-term fixture as, like, our capologist? Or can you see him as the successor to Dave Gettleman? Um, if that day ever comes when Dave decides to go... Uh, sail off to Cape Cod. Um, and then second is uh, on your YouTube, on your YouTube page, uh, you guys are talking about um, Devonte Downs and Mayo playing some of the uh, worst snaps at, and those roles. I think you guys should have tossed uh, Nate, Ebner, Nate Ebner in there uh, being tossed in the secondary on third downs 
and just giving up yards. Ah, oh, yes. The Nate Ebner experience. I remember against Chicago when the Giants rolled out there with no down linemen, and we saw Nate Ebner, and I think the uh, play ended up a touchdown pass to Darnell Mooney. That was a – you're right, Lucas. That one needs to be grouped into the 2020 failures for sure. Yeah, and I would say, to touch on your first part of your question, as far as that goes, I I think it all kind of depends on what happens this year. Because remember, Dave said he'd like to retire off the Cape Cod on his own terms, but the Giants don't, at minimum, make the playoffs this year. Even though John Mara didn't say so in as many terms, Dave Gettleman will be gone. I mean, they've done everything possible. They gave him three years of terrible records that he was just allowed to eat, and they took blame. Even Mara took blame himself a little bit for 2018, which was, in my opinion, not so We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And then this offseason, they mortgaged part of their future in cap space just to give him even more chances to, to put a successful roster out there by dipping into future cap space to kind of, um, you know, give them a better chance and better players and a better roster this year, which we support. But I'm just saying the point is he's given he's been given a lot. So if the Giants don't win this year, he's gone. It, it, it's it's an end of story situation there. As far as who would be next, that's a good question. I think in my mind, what I would prefer is they look outside the organization if this doesn't work. Because Abrams has been there for a long time, but he's been there for a lot of losing years at this point. The Giants have not won much at all since 2011. And so I would like them to look outside the organization if it does get to that point. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. Indeed.com slash blue wire offer valid through June 30th terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I would like, I would like that 
as well, Dan. But, I mean, Kevin Abrams, he's been with the Giants since 1999, and then he took on that assistant general manager role in 2002 all the way up until 2017. And then in 2018, he took the VP of football operations along with that assistant general manager role. Just the way Giants do things, man, I I can easily see them being like, oh, Dave, you're going to retire and now Kevin Abrams can kind of assume that position uh, just because he's been kind of, I guess you can say, groomed for this role for quite a while now. I mean, and I'd like to keep him on as the same in the same role he has now, which is assistant GM and mainly the guy who runs their cap and negotiates their contracts. That I'm all I'm all good for. I just I think if they're going to look for an actual GM, I wouldn't I'm not saying I would mind Kevin Abrams, but I think the ultimate probably the best upside play would be to kind of look outside the organization potentially to mix things up. That's if things fail. I mean, we're expecting the Giants to be good next year. I think this roster has at minimum 10 wins written all over it. Yeah, thanks. And do you, uh, one, one last thing is, do you see Kevin Abrams, um, like how's his talent evaluation? I don't think that's ever been talked about. Honestly, I, I don't really have much to glean from I that. I don't think he, I don't think he's in, yeah, I don't think he is in charge of that really. Okay. And I mean, I, I, Nick, do you have anything else to add there? I really don't. I mean, he's an intern general manager, but they have like guys on staff. Obviously, they're long term uh, scouts, and then like guys like Chris Petite, who has been in there for quite a while now. So uh, I know uh, he is more of the uh, talent evaluation side of things, whereas Kevin Abrams is a little bit more of a salary cap guy. Got it. Well, thank you. All right. Thanks for joining us, Lucas. And before we take on the next speaker, I actually want to use this time. To put out a shameless plug for the Big Blue Banter podcast, I know a lot of you during the season, over the last two seasons really, have requested and asked and said, our content will be a lot better if we can expand to YouTube and we can start to put some of the film breakdowns and some of the content on YouTube. Well, we just did that. We created our own YouTube page, the Big Blue Banter YouTube page. So for those of you listening in right now and for those of you who will be listening to a recording of this on the podcast page, please, please, please do us a favor. This is even more important right now than the iTunes reviews. It has somehow eclipsed that. And I know I continue to talk about those iTunes reviews like they're life and death. But this one, while not quite life and death, would do us a big solid by heading over to YouTube, searching Big Blue Banter. You'll see our logo. And just please hit subscribe. Please like a couple of the videos. Check them out. But definitely at least hit subscribe. That will really help us. Um, So follow our content there. There will be film breakdowns coming, that type of stuff. For now, we're doing draft content. And videos as well over there all right let's take a look at who's next it looks like it's mike what's going on mike how you doing bud hey how you guys doing man i tried to get license plate guy to check out you guys' uh mock draft the other day yeah i saw that thanks yeah so you know i'm doing my part um, <laughs> thanks so much yeah um what i was gonna say was um a couple things one the podcast was great on youtube i actually thought you guys were playing battleship at first um the way you guys had it set up and i was like oh man somebody's somebody's ship is about to get sunk but um it would be next if that's the case (laughs) but um just to kind of talk about that real quick was um you guys had talked about uh the edge rusher from houston who i had no idea about um in the third round, I believe you guys had. Yeah, because we're on the fourth rounder this year. So in the third rounder, um, I thought that was pretty insightful. Um, just the way that he might be able to per, like help and present different type of mismatches um, it off the edge that late in the draft. Um, I both liked uh, the Waddle pick. 
Um, and I think you guys had a little bit of a different pick in the second round, if I'm not mistaken. But um, I thought that that was like really, really awesome. And last but not least, I'll say this um, before getting off is that when Gettleman does these pressers, along with Abrams now, I guess, there's part of me that takes it like with like a crazy grain of salt. And by that, I mean like what he says is like smoke and mirrors, I guess you could say. Like he almost says a whole bunch of nothing without saying anything. Does that make any sense? Hello? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Like, like for example, right. like, for example, like, like, when he when somebody asked him about Devonta Booker, and they're like, "Well, yeah, we think he's a three down line, three down running back," and I literally was listening to him, and I was like, "But Saquon's our three down running back. Like, so are you telling me that Saquon's not fully healthy, or are you telling me that you overpaid a guy that you guys evaluated as being a three down running back who no one else in the league has given him the opportunity to be a three down running back?" I think he was, from that specific standpoint, I think he was just trying to say he has the upside of being a three-down running back. I don't think it's an indictment on the progress that Saquon Barkley's making, but it's just kind of acknowledging the reality that this guy has been injured the last two years, and they wanted to add a player who can be effective on all three downs. And I also think another thing that they didn't talk about there is Devonta Booker's ability on special teams, whereas Wayne Gallman didn't necessarily have that. So now you're basically saving that roster spot by bringing in somebody who's going to be on the kick return team the and all those other uh, types of special teams. He might not be the kick returner per se, but he just has experience working with the special teams, whereas Wayne Gallman never really did that. So if you remember – in that Chicago game, Wayne Goldman didn't dress in that game. So there, he, we were right. stuck with Dion Lewis in that game because he didn't offer anything outside of just being a spell running back. So I think that was another uh, pertinent thing the Giants wanted to add in this offseason, and they just view Booker, who is a 29-year-old. That's another thing I don't really like about the contract. A little bit older, but I mean, whatever. It's not really a huge deal. Uh, they view him as somebody who could also be a three-down back, I guess, if something were to happen to Saquon Barkley. But I don't think it's an indictment on uh, his progress. The way I interpreted this, Mike, would be the following. I think that they went into this offseason deciding that they need, first and foremost, a running back who can hold up in pass protection on passing downs and who can run decent routes on passing downs. They checked the box there in their mind with Booker. Then what Gettleman's saying is, and it's pretty much just GM speak, coach speak, you'll hear this all the time. You look at the post-draft pressers, they're going to talk about these players like they're the next coming of Joe Namath or whatever position they're going at, they're going by. But what he's saying is, in my mind, I read it as, Deion Lewis, we signed him for the same role last year, but Deion Lewis couldn't help us on rundowns. Deion Lewis is not a good runner between the tackles. Deion Lewis doesn't offer that. He believes that in addition to the main thing that Booker will be bringing along, which is the passing down work, the passing protection plus is a plus. The routes are pretty solid, his route running. He's an okay receiver, but also he's not going to kill you in the run game, and he's not going to be a total liability like Deion Lewis, for the most part, was there. So that's kind of how I interpret it. Okay, okay. That's, that's, that was, like, that was perplexing to me because, like, he talked about Booker and he talked about John Ross, and, like, uh, I think it was Jordan Ronan asked him about the, the Vikings edger that they picked up, and they were like, you know, well, you didn't include him. So, like, sometimes when I listen to Gettleman's pressers, I'm like, well, what are you saying without saying it? And then, like, where are we really going with this on draft night? Because, like, even now, like, I heard, like, they're entertaining the possibility of finally trading back. And I'm like, well, you wouldn't necessarily just 
put that out in the atmosphere like, oh, yeah, we want to trade back and then nobody's going to give you anything because you want to move back. Um, so I don't know. That, that was my only thing. But outside of that, guys, just, you know, keep up the good work. I, I always listen to you guys. You guys are great. Thank awesome. you. Thank That's you, Mike. I think I think that whole Dan. I wanted to get your take on this. I think that whole, uh, you know, oh yeah, the Giants are entertaining trading back thing. That could also be because, like we always say, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors right now. That could also just be the smoke and mirrors of, hey, Philadelphia is getting aggressive with possibly trading up. Maybe the Giants want to put it out there. They're going to trade down because they're in love with somebody that the Philadelphia Eagles might want to trade up in front of them to get. Yeah, I didn't take that to mean much of anything, that report from Ian Rappaport. I mean, like I tweeted out a little bit after that, I think I've seen that same report for five teams picking in the top <laughs> 11 for the Giants. I mean, literally five. I wrote them all out. So that's those type of reports are going to start flutter, fluttering in. Everybody knows not to really trust anything you read the 14 days before the draft. It can be true. It can be not true. So it's just random, and it's going to be impossible for anyone to really decide. I think the Giants will entertain offers, but... I don't think they're going to trade back. I mean, Dave Gettleman's never traded back in his entire career from any position, any draft spot. So he could, but he would be an outlier in his normal plan for how to build a roster out. All right, let's take a look at the next speaker. looks like we have a new person in at top of the queue, Tony Hutchinson. I actually haven't heard from Tony yet. Are you there, Tony? You with us? You there, Tony? Oh, man, I thought we had a new... Listener in here on the locker room live Q and A. Oh. Tony, if you're there, hey, just oh in. yeah, hey, sorry, oh, yeah. what's up, man? There How it is. Uh, all right, yeah, this is Tony. I'm here in Kansas. Uh, nice. Uh, I was wondering about uh, Boogie Basham, Carlos Basham out there in Wake Forest. What you guys thought about the 42nd pick? Uh, if he's there at 42, to be honest, I mean, I like uh, Boogie, but there's a lot of talk that he could be one of those surprise. And again, talk. We don't know what exactly is true, but I can kind of see with his skill set being a, you know, six foot three, six foot four, 200 and like 75 to 280 pound edge rusher who can kick inside on, you know, passing downs and also rush the passer effectively from the edge. More of a four three type of guy, but I still think he could fit into Patrick Graham's scheme. But I could see some of those teams a little bit later, like the Green Bay Packers or a team like that, kind of being interested in a player of that skill set because he's a very interesting one, Boogie Basham. And uh, I just I don't know if he'll be there at forty two. He could be one of those surprise first rounders that uh, not a lot of people are talking about as of right now. I would say for yeah, me, was, Tony, he's not he's not on my short list of forty two. I do agree. He can be a good player in the NFL. And I'm not saying he won't be a fit for Patrick Graham's system, but I just don't think Patrick Graham's system is the best fit for his skill set. I also don't think this type of prospect is what the Giants need to add to their roster right now. Six foot two, six foot three, two hundred and seventy pound edge, quote unquote, but he may not be able to play the edge in Patrick Graham's system. He may have to kind of kick inside into that defensive line rotation. Normally, you know, I would like to add more, and, and I like his game. There's no doubt about it, but there's going to be really good offensive linemen there at 42 for the Giants. There's going to be really good receivers if they don't go that route, round one. There might even be edges that I'm more interested in, like Jason Oa there. So to me, at least based on the system they play and kind of his skill set, I just think it would be more of a luxury pick right now to kind of add him in there and have him kick inside on some downs and just things that the Giants have already been adding a lot to their roster over the last several years. Is uh is Ronnie Perkins kind of the same way out of Oklahoma? Perkins, he's a little bit. He's a lot smaller than I did. A, I did an eval on Perkins a while ago. He's a lot smaller, if I'm not mistaken. I want to say he's like 30 pounds smaller than Boogie Basham. A little bit more of uh, somebody who can, I feel like, play the edge in a three four, but can also be one of those like five techniques in a four three 
type of front. If I'm, I'm not mistaken, he had uh, like very, very powerful hands, has a solid pass rushing repertoire, but I, I never really uh, linked those two players together. I feel like they're a little bit different. I feel like Ronnie Perkins is much more of the outside linebacker defensive end, whereas Boogie Basham is much more of the defensive end can kick inside type of player. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so Ronnie Perkins, that'd be he'd fit the system though, to fit the outside linebacker off the I, edge there with the Giants and uh, Graham scheme. I think he could. Yes, there's other players I like a little bit better than Ronnie Perkins. Uh, Peyton Turner, somebody brought him up before. Jason Owa, uh, Joseph Asai, even though he's a little bit more new to playing edge, but he's been in a lot of different systems. And I also love his play temperament. Obviously, he's Ojolari, but he's a much more higher type of prospect. I think George Smith is another player who, you know, I wish he was a little bit better against the run, but he can't teach that length at like six foot five and almost six foot six, really, 250 pounds. He's another player. He's the kid out of UAB who was down at the senior bowl and did well in the linebacker drills, did solid in the edge drills, which better against the run like I said, but him, he's, he's a player that I might consider over Perkins as well. But I do believe Perkins is a player that could possibly come in and find a role within Patrick Graham's system. I got one more. Is uh, You think Rashad Bateman falls to the second round? Ooh, Rashad Bateman. I see. Rashad well, I see Bateman, that. he reminds me a lot of uh, Steph Diggs a little bit, man. And uh, I don't know if he'd be there mm-hmm. at 42. He could fall out of the first round. I don't think that's without, uh, out of the realm of the possibility. But I think if he's sitting there at the top of the second round, I think teams are going to want to trade up to get him. Yeah. And I don't know if he'd get there to uh, 42. That would be a, a blessing in disguise. Because, I mean, if you just watch him run routes, man, like there's an argument that he's – like the best route runner in this class. And that's even with like the guy like Devonta Smith. He's a very, very good route runner. And people aren't talking about him like they're talking about some of the other players in this draft. People talk about him because, oh, he was smaller than he was tested out to be. I think that was also a COVID issue. He had COVID over the summer. Didn't really get to put on the weight. Supposedly he was, you know, 205 playing at that weight, uh, I think his junior season. But now he's 190. And that's what he uh, measured in at. Also measured in at like six foot it's not being six two that's unfortunate but you just watch the guy run routes he he's excellent in the quick game man he's he's an interesting player for sure and i'll add this tony i think that he had potential draft slide written all over him until he ran that four three nine because if you look at it keenan allen was viewed as a first round prospect until he ran that 40 fell into the second round was an absolute steal similar thing happened for a few other draft prospects. he actually reminds me a lot of keenan allen similar to you know stefan diggs nice confidence these guys who can really run to really nice routes. They have nuance to their route running and they're really good getting in and out of their breaks. I'm with you. It would be an insane value if you felt the giants at 42, but I think that 40 time, even though he was only six foot and one ninety, will probably lead to what at the minimum, what Nick said, which is some team trades up for him at the top of day two. All right. Well, appreciate the time. Yeah, man. Hey. Thanks for joining us. Good to hear from yep. a new, new listener in Kansas. Sounds good, man. Have, have a good Tony, one. Be, be well, buddy. Oh, you too. All right, Notorious V.I.G. is next up. You there with us, Notorious V.I.G.? Yo, how's it going, gentlemen? What's up, Notorious? All right, so I kind of buy the trade down uh, talk here. I mean, I look at the the D-line. I look at the ends. I look at the linebackers. I mean, it's, it's frightening in 2022 what those position groups look like. I mean, the only members of the defensive line now, right, that are that don't expire next year are Williams 
and Dexter, right? And then on the linebacker side, it's Blake and Zimenez. I mean, except for the rookies last year. Yeah. And, you know, none of those guys are real contributors. I, I mean, we're talking about really empty coffers there. So I kind of buy that there's a trade down and get, you know, pick your flavor, you know, uh, edge rusher. It kind of makes sense. No? No, I think it does make sense, to be honest. It's something we've talked about. For me, it's going to come down to who's available at that 11th pick and what you're getting to trade down. But another thing that kind of – that kind of goes to your point, Notorious – is if the Giants do trade down, that means they're going to get more of those picks, you know, in the early fourth round, maybe, you know, late third round, maybe even pick up, you know, they'll pick up a second round if they do trade down, possibly, depending. Have to look at the trade value chart. But you can get some of these linebackers, like a Chaz Surratt or somebody like that, a little bit later in the in the draft, and that can help kind of replenish the guys that you are going to lose. So, I mean, I, I think it's definitely a viable option. It's just, i just not 100% sure if Jalen Waddle's sitting there at 11, that Dave Gettleman's going to pull the trigger on it. And I was saying, and I recently wrote this up, and my plan would be, and I do agree, it is definitely viable and definitely possible they will trade, even though it is Dave Gettleman. I still think they will consider it for the exact reasons that you just outlined. But my whole thing is where they could also consider trading back is 42, because that's going to be a really valuable pick for some teams, because there's going to be, as always, some a player on someone's board who, who they have a first-round grade on, a clear-cut first-round grade on, they see him sitting there at 42, and they want to trade up to secure him. And so, to me, that's a great spot to try and acquire extra picks, especially extra day three picks, which is kind of what they had last year. And that's where I think they could land kind of like those uh, Ali McNeil types to play on the interior defensive line, for example, and, and different types of linebackers who can fit into Graham's system that may fall into day three because they don't fit into every other system, kind of like what they did last year with Cam Brown and Tate Crowder. So, to me, almost 42 seems like the better spot to trade back from. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Um, okay, so off the draft for a second, just just for, you know, I mean, so much draft every day. Draft. <laughs> um, so Daniel Jones, touchdowns way down, turnovers also down. Can, can you point to something that you saw on film that would – give people hope of his progression as a professional quarterback. Well, what is it that you see that doesn't show up in the box score? For me with Daniel Jones, I felt like he was more consistent and it wasn't perfect, but he was a little bit more consistent with getting the football out of his hand. I still think there's some work there. I also obviously love his athletic ability. I love his aggressiveness, his ability to make a mistake and come back from it. I love how he challenges coverages in the intermediate parts of the field on those deep dig routes. We were kind of slamming Jason Garrett all year because he wasn't running enough of those deep overs, those deep dig routes in the intermediate parts of the field because Daniel Jones throws a really good ball there, and he can put enough touch on it. I think his arm talent is is solid to good. I really do. He's not. He doesn't have the Josh Allen type of arm or anything like that. But I believe he has a lot of traits that can lead him to be a good quarterback. He did cut down on the turnovers, which was his big bugaboo in year one. But I also felt like from a mental standpoint, there were signs of progression on film, but it wasn't quite to the point where it gives you that great feeling. And also the stats obviously took a huge dip, which was a combination of the offense, the skilled position players, the lack of Saquon. It was a combination of a lot of things, but that's why this year three is so pivotal for Daniel Jones is he needs to kind of 
put all those traits that he has and put it into one year so this team cannot, you know, just win five or six games. And for me, it would be the one thing I saw most noticeable on film, and especially because it wasn't perfect even at the beginning of this year. It was bad last year in this rookie year. It wasn't perfect at the beginning of this year. And then it really progressed in those three, four games leading up to the injury. And that was his pocket management. I thought earlier in the year, he would make the same mistake he was making as a rookie, which is when the pocket broke down or which, or when he perceived the pocket to break down, which, by the way, wasn't always true. He perceived it wrong a lot of the time. He would flood to his right. He would start to roll to his right laterally. And then toward the end of the year, you saw he started to trust the pocket a little bit more. And more importantly, he started to step up into the pocket, which is extremely important for any passer to not flee the pocket laterally to his right or left, even though Jones you know, typically will flee to his right. And because once he's fleeing laterally to his right, can't throw from a, from he's throwing off balance. He's not going to generate the same kind of arm strength and power on each throw. And mo- more often than not, it's going to be off-target throws that gener- that come from that and turnovers as well. So I thought he did a much better job toward the end of the season, right up leading to that injury uh, of doing of managing the pocket. Love that, Dan. Ho- hopefully he has. Uh... A pocket. Hopefully, they can deal with the yeah. Lemieux Hernandez uh, situation. Yeah, and even Parrot. You have to throw Parrot in there. He's still. I know there's a lot of hope with Parrot, but let's remember he was the 97th overall pick. If you look at the history of 90 plus picks at offensive tackle in the NFL working out, it's extremely low. So I mean, it's not a guarantee by any means. But we are we are excited. Yeah, about Parrot, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm calling it right now. It's more of a hope call, frankly. But I'm just going to be damn adamant about it because it makes me feel better. <laughs> Parrot's going to be a fucking stud. No, I like a lot of what I see with Parrot. I can understand why you say that. You look at him and immediately you're like, when you watch him on film, you're like, this guy has it. This guy could be really good. But I still do think it's a projection. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. You also got to throw uh, Dan Andrew Thomas in there too, man. I mean, Andrew Thomas has a half a year that was that was good on tape. We have a lot of hope for Andrew Thomas, but we shouldn't go in saying, "Oh yeah, he's definitely a sure thing." Either I don't think that's a wise thing to do. I don't no, think not I don't all. think it's I don't think it's fair to have Andrew Thomas be judged when there's heavy metal being played in the offensive line room, right? <laughs> like, how is anyone supposed to think through that? Right, like, it's kind of concentration issues. Yeah, yeah, Nick. I mean, I, I know you're fair, but I think you're being a little, little tough right now. Don't you think? No, 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 no. I, I, I don't mean to come off like I'm being tough. I'm just saying that there's a lot of uncertainty on this offensive line, and if Andrew Thomas has a sophomore slump, we shouldn't be overly shocked. I'm just trying to provide context to that because I, I. I didn't think that I had to explain my sarcasm on that one, <laughs> <laughs> but. You didn't have to, for the record, you didn't have to explain it to me. Cool, Dan, cool. (laughs) All right, guys, keep it up. Thank you. I'm going to pay for that one. Nick's going to get me back at some point, and it's not going to be pretty. But before then, let's welcome on the next speaker here. It is Dom. What's going on, Dom? Dom, what's up? You there, Dom? Dan? Yeah, how you doing? Hello? Yep, we can hear you. Hey guys, what's going on? What's Sorry, up? I don't know if the volume went down. All good. Okay, so so my question is that if the Giants go old line or edge in the first round for whatever whatever the reason might be, do you think that there's um, better value a wide receiver in rounds two or round three? And which which particular guys would you target in two and round three? 
No, for me, I'll start here. For me, it's round two for sure. If they go edge or line round one, I am got my eyes on. I, first of all, I think the best player by far on their board should and will be a receiver in round two, assuming there's not some random crazy flurry of receivers that go off the board from picks one to 41. Everyone always will project and mock that there will be, and then every single mock will be wrong because everyone always overrates the amount of receivers that go early in every draft class. It happens every year. So for me, my targets, Dom, would be the following. Elijah Moore, target number one. I actually think teams will be smart enough to take him in the first round, though, even though he's five foot nine. If somehow Moore's on the board, I would honestly, Dom, and this will sound crazy, I know, but I would even entertain going more. I know, I heard you say that in your pod. Yeah, yeah. even if they did take a receiver or Pitts in round one, that's how much I think he's going to be the best player on the board at the time. The next player for me would be Terrace Marshall out of LSU. And I don't know if he'll be on the board, but it's definitely possible because he's played in the shadow of a lot of better receivers. And then he opted out midway through 2020. So it's kind of a weird situation there. He would be number two for me. Number th- We already mentioned Rashad Bateman, but we don't think he'll be there. He's obviously way up the list. He'd be one. O- he'd be probably over uh, even Elijah Moore, though. Probably actually, no, I'm putting Elijah Moore first, then Bateman, then Terrace Marshall. And then four for me would be Rondell Moore. I'd be thrilled with any of those four players. Yeah, for me, it's just BPA at that point. I mean, I mean, if they don't go receiver, some of these receivers I would imagine would be around, and I'd be fine with the Giants going in that direction. But at the same time, if there's a stud interior offensive lineman that would fall, um, I guess you could say at that point it would be somebody like a Creed Humphrey because it's a little bit early for the Aaron Banks and the Ben Clevelands of the world. But say a Landon Dickerson, that one gives me a little bit more hesitation just because he had he has those injuries and a lot of them in the past. But I wouldn't fully rule that out either. So it would just be best player available. Hopefully the medicals check out. So, yeah, and to be clear, I just want to make it clear before we move. I, I, same thing for me. I'm with Nick. It's always best player available for me. Literally always. I don't view the draft in a prism. I don't no, look at of it like we need to fill this need this year. I look at it. This is as hopefully a five-year decision. Or, or hopefully even more so a 10-year decision for the franchise. Do you guys really think that there's a good chance that BPA and round two will be, will be wide receiver? What are you saying, BPA and what round two? I said, two? do you think that there's a good chance that BPA in round two will be wide receiver? Yeah, I don't even think there's enough. I'm pretty sure that, that that's the only position that will – I mean, it's, not, it's possible like Nick said. Interior offensive line, maybe. But then again, I think there's going to be interior offensive line you can get in round three. I also don't know if I really feel – comfortable saying any of those I would take over the receivers with the exception of Creed Humphrey. He's probably the only one. And I think ultimately he'll go in round one. I don't okay, think my, my follow up to that is is would you consider a tight end like Pat Fryamuth over a wide receiver in round two? If they went with O line or edge first is what you're saying? Yes. Uh, I, I I would consider it but I wouldn't do it, not over those receivers. I'm curious what your take would be, Nick. Would you go Fryermuth or one of those receivers? I think I'd probably go one of those receivers, but I say that with the caveat that I haven't necessarily really gotten to Pat Fryermuth's film yet. But I know there are guys like Tommy Tremble, the Notre Dame tight end, Hunter Long, the Boston College tight end, even someone like George's Trey McKitty, who's relatively unproven because he was vastly underutilized at both the schools that he attended in college. So I like some of those tight ends a little bit later. Uh, and if some of those top receivers are around, I, I don't know if I would love Pat Fryermuth as much than to pass over some of those guys. I okay, think guys, the Giants will like Frymuth a lot, by the way, Dom. Just for the record, I think he's going to be right up their alley. He's a good blocker. He seems like a perfect fit for what Garrett wants to do and for what they want to do. But just, well, just because, to add that. because it seems like it's not a bad idea because if, if Ingram, and I, know, I, and I know you can't draft for need, but if Ingram has one year left on his deal and let's say that they don't intend to bring him back 
And Kyle Rudolph is very, very cuttable after next year. Toilolo is gone. He seems like the he seems like the perfect type of guy, especially if what you guys are saying there are very good wide receivers available in round three, if they could go Fryamu two, O line one, and him and wide receiver in round three. Yeah, I mean it's not a bad setup from that standpoint for sure. I mean I wouldn't be opposed to that at all, especially if they get maybe like Josh Palmer out of Tennessee in round three. And if 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 um. If you guys think that the wide receivers that are going to be available in round two are so good, and assuming Slater and Sewell are gone in round one, I know you have hesitation of drafting an off-ball linebacker in round one, but if if you could get a receiver like those guys that you're saying in round two, Parsons is awfully tempting in round one if the two offensive linemen are not there. If everything checks out with him too, Dom. Yeah, like, of course. We're not really 100 percent sure how how bad that is. But if but, but if it but if it's fine and you know you can get a guy like a Rondell Moore or not no, but you think you can get one of them, it, I don't know if the drop off is that great from one of those from from from, from Waddle or Smith, according to you guys, to one of those guys. It's it's tempting to draft the Parsons because a Parsons and one of those guys versus a Waddle Smith compared to who in round two, you know, I, I think, I think the combination could be better. I know what you're saying, Dom. For me personally, I, and I understand the combination as well. I think Jay, I would have Jalen Waddle and Smith above those guys in the second round. I think you had, guys- if you had Smith, Smith and Smith and Waddle say versus an interior offensive lineman in two and something, I don't even know in three versus Parsons, one of those wide receivers and the interior lineman in three, that might seem like a better combination, right? I mean, it would all depend, again, on what players are available. I mean, you can't really make a selection. I mean, I guess you could make a selection and then be like, yeah, well, this is a deep class, so there might be people available, but people could always get sniped at the same time. So, right, I mean, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. I, I, I think that I, I think all this talk is for nothing, honestly. I just have, like, a feeling that the Giants are going to draft an edge no matter what. I just have that feeling. But yeah, thank no, you very much, guys. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Tom. Sorry, I cut out a little bit there. And it'll be interesting to see. There's a lot of interesting uh, storylines and narratives surrounding this draft. We'll have to see what happens. I do agree with you. It's definitely possible they're just going to sit there at 11 and go edge, trade back and go edge. So yeah, we'll have to see. We got one more tonight. It's going to be Todd. What's going on, Todd? Todd, what's up? You there, Todd? After all that time, eating those avocados – and cutting them up, making sure they were right, right, not even there. Hey, guys. Oh, you are there. What's up, Todd? What's up, bud? Hey, hey guys. Sorry. I was actually I'm out walking the dogs tonight. Uh, thank you again for all the uh, the content over the last couple of years. I think uh, the offseason for the Giants has been more interesting than the regular season, sadly. And uh, this pod has helped me get through uh, the last couple of seasons of uh, unhappiness as a Giants fan. So thank you for all the content. And, Nick, welcome back. Thank my you. question tonight, yeah, absolutely. My question tonight is uh, is this uh, pertaining to the draft? Um, forget about BPA and long term roster building. Uh, somebody earlier had talked about uh, Gettleman and, and this possibly being his last season unless uh, it's playoffs or bust. What prospect, as far as any of the realistic ones that would fall to the Giants at eleven, gets us the most wins next season? Mm. Trevor Lawrence, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, well of the ones that are going to be available, you know, to us at 11, to be fair. That's a great question. Yeah, honestly. I, I got my answer. I'm curious to hear yours first, Nick. 
okay, I know he's not fully he's not fully polished right now, but I may I may go with Penny Sewell just because of what the, it's going to allow the offensive line to do. And I think that's it's realistic. I know like you know, a lot of people said he was a top five consensus pick, but the Bengals don't go him. Some teams supposedly prefer Rashawn Slater. But if I'm gonna choose one, it, it might be it might be Sewell, but I mean Slater's also very tempting as well. But it's probably one of those two linemen. And for me, Todd, if I could somehow take a time machine back in time and have say over where this offense was headed and I could hire Grimes out of BYU as my offensive coordinator or anybody, really, I'd say (laughs) Kyle Pitts because Kyle Pitts will give them the best chance. But I don't trust Kyle Pitts with Jason Garrett. I just don't trust this offense in general with playmakers. I hope that it'll help, but I don't trust that to help. What I do trust is the tried and true thing, which is an offensive line helping you get better as a football team. And so for me, it will also be Sewell, and I'll throw Slater in there as well because if you put Slater on that line, his athleticism, his feet, his quickness to getting to the second level will be such a weapon for the Giants in the passing game and the run game. It will be a weapon for those outside runs, those counter trades that we always talk about with Barkley, but also if they can hopefully finally get a screen game going with Saquon Barkley or, you know, maybe they end up going – Slater or Sewell at 11, and then they can scoop up Elijah Moore or Rondell Moore in round two. And now you can get those guys the ball in space too with Slater or Sewell kicking out and blocking for them. And you really seem to have a nice offensive weaponry going with the, with the offensive line kind of playing a role in that as well. So I, my answer ends up being the same as next. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Uh, from your lips to God's ears, if we can get a, a big man up front uh, to compliment what Gettleman promised he would do four years ago and fix the line that would be that would be good yep thanks guys that was it all right Todd thanks for joining us all right that's all the time we have for on tonight's locker room thanks again for joining us for those of you who missed it you're listening in on the recorded version of the podcast and thank you again one last plea please please do us a favor go on YouTube head over to YouTube type in Big Blue Banter find our logo click to subscribe like a couple videos help us build that page out we're going to try to get that going Really strong for everybody with a lot of good content coming up. Thanks again, and we will talk to you guys soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.